0: The idea is, Christian, do you know, uh, as you live your Christian life, what all's going to happen to you? you have any idea what expressing the Lordship of Christ and bowing your knee before Jesus, calling him your king, submitting your life to him, you have any idea what all that is going to mean to you? Do you all know what all exactly that's going to entail? And the answer to that is, well, yeah, but no. And that's the same thing with Mary, do you know? And the problem with Mary, do you know, in my opinion, used to be, That of course she knew, right? Because there's an angel that gives kind of like an explanation. She knows God comes to her and lets her know what's about to happen. But even with what you know, there's an awful lot that you don't. Other people have had a problem with this song too. I want to show you some memes that have come up about this song. Mary, did you know? And somebody says, yes, Gabriel told me everything, Luke 1. That was my objection. Obviously God told him. Here's another one you'll see. For the upteenth time, Mary didn't know. And that's Wednesday. Anybody know the series, Wednesday? Next one. Batman and Robin. Robin says, Mary, did you know? Batman slaps him. Of course. Of course she knew. There's scripture. This is kind of one of those things. That's why I was opposed to this song. Next one. That seems sacrilegious, but I wanted to throw it out there just for you to see it. Because it is out there on Facebook. Um, next one. Mary, did you know? Yes. Now, stop asking the all-you-know cat. Now, the one I like now, I couldn't find again, but I saw it just like last week where the song, Mary, Did You Know, asked about 12 questions. Did she know this? Did she know this? And what it did is, Mary, did you know? And then it said, yes, yes, no, 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 yes, yes. And answered all of those. I couldn't find it. I'd love to to done that. The reason I did not like the song is because we know she knew something, and I thought that was enough to negate the whole thought of the song, but it's one of those classic ones where the tune is so enticing, but the wording just seemed weird to me. It's a lot like Alleluia by Leonard Cohen, a beautiful, somber song, but I have no idea what the words mean. Same thing with a song that We were had PJs with Santa the other night. Charlotte did a great job once again of planning that thing. Kids had a great time. But Elliot just insisted on following me around singing a Christmas song. Now see if you know the rest of the words of this song. Last Christmas I gave you my heart the very next day. Stupid song. It is absolutely terrible. And Elliot's following me around. This sweet little girl I always thought was great. She's terrible. She's a demon. And she's following around singing that song. At the top of her lungs, she gets Colby to join her. And all the way through the night, I'm about to go nuts because the tune stays in your head. You sing it for days. I was singing it this morning. And the words make absolutely no sense. So what I thought about Mary, did you know? But I thought about our own Christian lives. We have scripture, we have the Holy Spirit, we have the church to help us, but are there large segments of your life where you have to live with mystery? You don't really know what God's doing here or why he's handling us the way he does? Do you have any moments like that? Christian, do you know? Well, yeah, I know. I've got the revelation of God, but you know what? There's an awful lot in life I just can't figure out. What I love about this Christmas story we have in scripture, what we call the Christmas story, it's not just a a song with carols and sweet little storylines and plays and you put with fudge and all that stuff. Mary demonstrates for us a very important skill that if you're going to live this life of mystery, if you're going to live through the confusion that will come up in your life, if you're going to hang on to faith and the lordship of Jesus in a lifetime where there's things that come up you'll never quite understand, if you're going to do that, you better learn something from Mary. I want you to learn the Christmas skill. A Christmas skill. We don't think of it this way, but it is. This is a skill that she demonstrated for us, and I want to show it to you. You know it for the classic story, right? Cuddling that new baby, hours old. They're in Bethlehem. They're not even from this town, but they're having to be here for the census, and so they're here alone with a few family members probably, and suddenly comes this very enthusiastic, animated knock at the door, people demanding to come in. Just, I've got to come in and see him. See him? Yeah, we've got to come in and see your baby. What do you mean? Opens the door, and there's these smelly shepherds. You know, those people who spend a lot of time outside, when they come into your house, it smells like outside. It smells kind of like a dog smell they smell funny and they want to hold the baby and they talk about something that they experienced out there in the fields out there. They heard this heavenly choir and it talked about what this baby was going to do. And you know what it says of Mary in that text? It says she treasured up this in her heart. She stored it. Doesn't understand all it means. She knows something. She knows He's going to deliver humanity from their sin. She knows he's going to be the king over his people for the rest of eternity. But, but there's a lot of gaps in that, y'all. There's daily life gaps in that. And so she's hearing what these shepherds are saying, which seems so utterly impossible. What does it all mean? I don't know, but I'm going to store it right here. I'm just going to store it in my heart. and Maybe I'll understand it later. And that wasn't the last time, was it? 30 days later, She's got to go to the temple and present the purification rites for having a baby boy. She goes in the temple, and there's this old man and this even older woman who just come running up to her, insisting on holding the baby and blessing him. They are excited. They're more excited than if it was their grandkid. And they said, we've been waiting our lives for this. She's like, I have, I've waited 10 months for this. How can you say you've waited your entire life for this? It doesn't make sense. Well, God's told them they will not die till they see the hope of Israel. And now they're looking into the face of the hope of Israel and they, want to, and they say amazing things that Mary can't possibly grasp. And what does she do? She stores them in her heart. That wasn't the last time. A few days later, they're back at the house, right, and in comes some foreign dignitaries with very expensive gifts. These people are from countries away, the other side of the world, and they come into the house bringing these gifts, and they bow down to this boy. Who is this boy to them? Who is he to the people of Persia, China, wherever these people came from? Who is this? She's stumped. She has to be stumped. And she doesn't understand a word they're saying. She needs subtitles, doesn't she? She has no idea what they're saying. But it's obvious they're honoring this boy, and she has no idea what what does he mean to them. And she just what does she do? She stores it in her heart. And then there's one more installment of the storage unit. It's when he's 12. They take him to the temple again. On the way home, they realize he's not with them. They're frantic as any parent would be, and they go running around for three days trying to find him. And finally, he's in the temple, and he's in dialogue and discussion with all these people. And they're like, what are you doing here? Here's the text. Well read a moment ago. Lengthy reading, I know. His parents saw him. They were astonished. His mother said, son, why have you treated us like this? Behold, your father and I have been searching for you in great distress. What is, you know, you're relieved and you're angry at the same time. And he said to them, this is the first words of Jesus, first words ever recorded. Why were you looking for me? Did you not know that I must be in my father's house? Clearly, words they could understand. They did not understand what he was saying. Next screen. He went home with them, came to Nazareth, submissive to them. His mother didn't understand it, but what did she do with it? She treasured up these things in her heart. She put it in that storage unit. This is a skill she practiced all the way through the the lifetime of Jesus because Jesus was full of mystery to his own parents. They don't understand but they know who he is and they're willing to believe in him even apart from understanding clearly. But there's a skill. Listen to the skill. It's called learning to store your confusion as you await understanding. That's the skill. That's called treasuring it in your heart. Learning to store your confusion as you await understanding. Just look at that for a minute. I'm going to unpack this. Store. What does store mean? I am going to put it I, I, don't, I can't get rid of it, I can't dismiss it, I can't ignore it, but I don't understand it. And so I'm going to put it in a waiting place. I'm, I don't need it right now because it's confusing to me right now, but I want to keep it here because I'm going to pull it out and put it with some other stuff later and understand But I'm going to store it right now. I'm not going to let it discourage me. I'm not going to let it, let me. Re, let, it's not going to cause me to reject him or to call him foolish or whatever. I'm just going to store it. What's the word confusion mean? You just don't understand it right now. Christian life is a progression faith, a progressive faith that you just don't get it all at once. You download it and say, okay, I'm ready. It's a lifetime pursuit that requires a little more insight and a little more insight, and as you add it all up together, it just multiplies in your head, right? This confusion. Maybe you disagree with him at first. Maybe you read something or Jesus says something or does something that you find. I just don't understand. That doesn't fit my picture of Jesus, but he's Lord, y'all. You can't just dismiss him and you can't just disregard him or turn away and walk away. You can't do that. What do you do? Well, that's your confusion. I don't. Peter did this once. Let me give you an example. Jesus is standing before them and says, who do you think I am? And Jesus, Peter says, I think you're the Christ. You're the one we've been expecting to come. Great, that's exactly right, Peter. Now, here's what's about to happen. I'm going to be heading to Jerusalem. I'm going to be mistreated. I'm going to be turned over, and I'm going to be killed, and I'm going to rise from the dead. And none of that was part of Peter's plan. None of that was his idea. He has other plans for Jesus, and so he says, Jesus, that's not going to happen. He rebukes The Lord, listen, when you call Jesus Lord, you can no longer rebuke him. When you decide Jesus is Lord, you can't say in his word, you're wrong there. You can't do that because as Lord, he has complete authority over you, and you take what he says and you do it. So what's he going to do with this? Jesus rebukes him back, calls him Satan, says, get behind me. You are having the things of men, not the things of God in your mind. So Peter has to step back and put this in storage because his entire frame of reference for who Jesus is has just been just demolished, but he doesn't know what to do with it, so he puts it in storage. There are going to be things Jesus says to you you just don't understand. There's going to be things the Lord allows into your life, and there's going to be things that happen in your life that you don't think fit the puzzle picture of your life, that you think are outside the Lordship of Christ. They're not but you're going to think they are, and instead of getting discouraged and offended, instead of turning away and rejecting Jesus, put it in storage. Suspend judgment, take Him at His word, and just store it until you can understand it. Maybe it's confusion because you can't quite grasp it. You just don't understand it. It's not that you disagree with it. You just can't understand this thing hold on a little while longer, put it in storage. And then there's a final, a wait understanding. You're going to trust that God's going to send other stuff, other people to explain things to you. He's going to add other scriptures to it. He's going to give you life experiences to understand it. You give God time to work in your life because you are not altogether ready yet for this. And y'all, I know people who are 70 years old and still have plenty of things in their storage unit. And if you're coming to a church that you say, I want them to have all the answers and explain everything about God, this is not the church for you. Roll on by. There's a whole bunch of people here who are living their lives with a huge storage unit, not quite sure what Jesus means about everything, but we trust him as Lord enough to put it in storage until we await further understanding. That's where we are here. And that's the skill that Mary teaches in that simple narrative of the birth of Jesus it's like he's saying I don't understand this boy listen when you don't understand your teenager don't get uptight about it Mary and Joseph didn't understand theirs either and it was Jesus right can you think of times scripture where people didn't understand him why did you pick Matthew The tax collector. Why are you eating at his house? And there's a whole bunch of Pharisees and scribes who completely disregard Jesus for the rest of his entire ministry because of this scene right here. And you know what? The disciples don't get it either. I guarantee you, the zealot doesn't understand the picking of Matthew. I guarantee it as it's going along. But you know what they do? They put it in storage because he's the Lord. The way Jesus works... confusing sometimes why does he take so long why does he say no for so long why does he withhold this or why does he do this i don't know why he does it but i'm going to tell you this he's still lord he's still lord and you still follow him and you just put that stuff in storage what about a hard teaching are there any hard teachings that you're like i don't know if i get this or not you know, this rich young ruler comes up, and Jesus says he has to give up all, he has to give away, and sell all that he has, and give to the poor. And the disciples are just like their their mouth falls open. You know why? Because they thought he's only rich because God is pleased with him and blessing him. And you are, and yet you're telling him that he's got to do something. He lacks something. I'm talking to a bunch of rich people right now. Can I tell you this? It's harder for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for you to be saved. Is that a little stumper? Put that in your storage unit. Put that in your storage unit. Don't just disregard it. Well, it's just somebody. No, no, don't disregard it. And, and don't get mad at Jesus for it. Put it in your storage unit. And later on in life, and later on with experiences, later on with more scripture, you're going to add to it. And you're going to, oh, I, I can understand this. What about marriage? <clears throat> can a person divorce a woman for no reason whatever? Jesus says, you know, in the beginning, what God taught one man, one woman for life. Disciples said, ooh, that's a tough teaching. Yes, Jesus says. It's so tough that there are some people who have to be eunuchs for the rest of their life in order to be obedient to this. Ouch! Yep, put it in your storage unit. I don't get it either. There are other things like this. Do you remember the hardest one of all, John chapter 6? Jesus looks at a group of people and says... If you want to turn alive, you have to eat my flesh and drink my blood. And, and some people say, whoo, that's too much. And they turn away, and a bunch of them walk off. And do you remember what he says to Peter? Anybody remember what he says to Peter? Are you going to go too? I think he's talking to the 12. Are you all going to leave too? Is, did I just step over a line? Did I, just get too diff- did I just get offensive enough to drive you away? And Peter says, I think what Peter is saying is, I have no idea what you just said. Think Peter says, I have no idea what you just meant, but I'm going to tell you this. Where else can we go that has the words of life but you? I don't know what you said. I don't know what it means, but I'm putting it in my storage unit because all the things I don't know pale in comparison to the one I do. You are Lord And so what we say at this church every Sunday, gather around the Lord's table, there's a lot we don't understand about life, and there's a lot of confusion, and we pray about a lot of our ignorance. I don't know why this is happening in your life. I don't know why this is happening to some of our members. I don't know why there's so much tragedy that takes place in the world. We don't know, but there's one thing we unite on. Jesus is Lord. Absolutely. And everything else can be put in a storage unit for now. What about unanswered prayers? Why when it seems like this is the right answer? I mean, how can God not grant health to a child with cancer? Why? How can I pray this and how can millions pray this and God say no? There's no way, it makes no sense. I know. But God sometimes says no. No. Don't ask me why. I'm not his press secretary. I'm no better than anybody else explaining this. But while I'm ignorant of that, I still declare to you, Jesus is Lord. Jesus is not unaware of how mysterious he is to us. He knows full well in our humanity that we're going to struggle with him. And there's this one scene that I think I just want to share with you where he addresses this issue. He's fully aware of how confusing he can be, and he just comes right in the front door and says, let me address this. He doesn't answer it. There's a difference between him addressing it and him answering it. He doesn't answer. He addresses, and I want you to hear it. It's to John the Baptist. Now, there's this thing that Jesus has, his program, his, what would you call it, job description, and here's what he says. In Luke chapter 4, he unrolls the scroll. You remember this in his own hometown. And he says, the Spirit of the Lord is upon me. He's anointed me. Proclaim good news to the poor. The poor are going to get a chance to hear the gospel, right? Proclaim liberty to the captives. There are people unfairly in prison, and they're going to be set free. Sent me to proclaim liberty. The recovering of sight to the blind. I'm going to, I'm going to make blind people able to see. Set at liberty those who are oppressed by diseases and illnesses and other things. This is my job description, and he proclaims it, and John the Baptist believes this too. He knows this very well. And so John the Baptist is going around and he's, he's doing his work as a forerunner of Jesus. He's a cousin as well. He's the first one. He came along and he said, hey, there's the one, there's the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world looking straight at and pointing straight at Jesus, sending a lot of his disciples to him. So this man, is, and, and, and Jesus calls him the greatest man who ever lived. But there's John, and what he decides to do is Herod Antipas is married to his brother's wife, and it's totally unlawful, unbiblical for him to do that. And so John the Baptist, in the face of power, says, you can't have your brother's wife. This is wrong. And he, he's put in prison for a long, long, long time. But he knows the mission of Jesus, and one of those is to free the captives. You know, And he's sitting there going, Jesus is going to take care of this. Jesus is going to take care of this. And I'm just going to wait. Jesus gets into his miraculous ministry, it's amazing. He's done nearly everything he describes there and more. He's done all these things. Heal the sick, give sight to the blind, cleanse the lepers, all that stuff. And now it should be John's turn. The faithful John, the greatest man who ever lived by Jesus' own word, and he's languishing in prison. Time continues to pass, and not a word and not an act from Jesus for him. His disciples keep coming back to him in prison, John's disciples, and they come back and they say, man, Jesus is doing incredible stuff. You ought to see it. Well, I'd love to. I'd love to, but I don't have freedom of movement. And surely he's going to get up my way, and he's going to take care of me too, except that Jesus never does. And John continues to languish. His own disciples appeal to intervene, and John sends his own message. And here is what that message is. When John heard in prison about the deeds of Christ, he, start, he heard about them from his disciples. He sent word to his disciples through his disciples said, Are you the one who's to come, or shall we look for another? What? John, you know better than anybody who he is. What has happened to you? But John's like, he's not acting fast enough. He's not judging sin harshly enough. He's not doing anything for me. He's healing common people, anybody who comes to him with anything, and he heals them. He heals masses, of groves of people, right? He heals all these people, and yet the entire time, John the Baptist, the faithful one, greatest of all time, is languishing in this prison with no response of Jesus. And so here's what the answer Jesus sends back. It's a terrible answer. You go tell John... What you're seeing and hearing, the blind receive their sight and the lame walk and and the lepers are cleansed and the deaf hear and the dead are raised up, all these amazing things, that's a terrible answer because John's sitting there going, I love that you're doing this. Why don't you do a little something for me? You ever feel this way? We're a church that believes in the power of God. I believe those miracles. You believe those miracles happen. I know it's crazy you don't see them today like that, but I believe they happen. And that presents a problem for Jesus, doesn't it? If they ever happen, they can still happen. So why doesn't he do something for us? Do you know believers who've been in a spot where they sit there and go, why doesn't he do just a little bit of something for me? I know he can. He can. And as if he could read our minds, I love this last line, it's the strangest line of all, but it's the line that tells me Jesus is aware of how mysterious he is to us. Blessed is the one who's not offended by me. Why would somebody be offended by Jesus? Why would we be offended by the one we gather around the table who died for us? Why why would he offend us? Why is it? It's a tendency. It's a propensity. It's it's a possibility. He says, I understand why you would be. I can understand why John the Baptist would. This is an answer first to John the Baptist. Don't be offended by the fact that you're going to die there, and I'm not going to do anything for you, John. Don't stop believing. Trust what you know, but I'm not rescuing you. That's a tough pill to swallow. I could understand why he would be offended, but here's here's the thing for us. Offense comes not because Jesus can't do something. If Jesus can't do it, we can't be offended because it's not a choice he's making. He just can't do it. But we know that he can, don't we? We as a church know that our Lord can do anything. In fact, he says, don't pray to me Without believing, I can do anything. But here's the thing. If he doesn't do something, it's not because he can't, it's because he's chosen not to, and that can be offensive. That can get right there in my head. You have your child sick as can be. Other people's children might be healed, but for some reason, yours is not. Does this stick in your head? I know that he could have. He chose not to. I know people with gender dysphoria, struggling with their identity, and they're coming up with all sorts of ideas of how they can treat that. How can a God let somebody go through a struggle like that? Listen, I don't know. Sexual orientation. I have a desire toward the same sex. and it's a, it's, it's a natural thing in there. I think it happens to people. People have this. What do they do about it? And why doesn't God rescue me and deliver me from this? Why doesn't he deliver me from depression? Why does he make these godly men, of, these men of God that we've all known, suddenly lose their minds and, and they, have, they, they have Alzheimer's and they can't even think anymore? Why would, they, why would he let that happen to godly people? Why, why would he do that? Y'all, the fact that he can perform miracles but he often doesn't for us creates a place where we could be offended and we think the following ways. We can think this way. He's silent. We say if he's silent, he's really absent. That's not true, but offended minds conclude that. If he's not active in this situation right here, he's not concerned about me. That's not true, but offended people can feel this way. He refuses to rescue you. It's rejection of you. That's not true, but offended minds think this way. You will conclude God acts for other people, but he, he something's wrong with me. Why, he won't act for me. That's not true, but that's what an offended mind will think. What do you do about this? Why doesn't he do this? Here's the other way he could have said it. Blessed is the person who can accept what God allows and live with it and be faithful despite never understanding it. Blessed is the person who knows God could, sees God doesn't, and is faithful anyway how do you do that? And it's by this skill that Mary taught us. How do you navigate through reality that he won't always respond in the way you want him to, in the time that you want him to? You store your confusion as you wait to understand and You just store it in there. And I'm looking at an audience of people who have large storage units Some of you I've talked to and I've heard your stories and I'm like I am mystified completely about why God did that in your life or didn't do that in your life and there's enough witnesses in this room of people who will say we don't have all the answers we can't figure it all out but I've got this large storage unit awaiting further understanding that may never come in this life and yet he's still Lord and you're still here on Sunday morning and you're still praising his name and that's what the church does. Store your confusion, but hang on to his lordship. Store the uncertainty, the disagreement. Store it. and Give God time to work in your life as you await understanding. Because here's what I know. We can look back at the past, many of your lives, and we can see those areas that are put in storage units, and I'm going to tell you this, there's many more in the future coming. You know this, don't you? There's many more coming for the people in this room. I need people who can bear witness not only to great answers, but great confusion and the ability to store it. My heroes are people who lived with storage issues. Lots of stuff they didn't understand, but they did understand the Lordship of Christ. And so here we are, and I want to say, Christian, do you know? Do you know? Christian, do you know? Well, yeah, we know a lot. God's given us revelation. That's a lot. He's given us a Holy Spirit, a resident presence of himself. That's amazing. He's given us a church with incredible wisdom and insight on a lot of things, but there's still a lot of mystery in our lives. Do you know? Yes and no. For everything that's no, we know what to do with it. Mary, in that incredible gift she gives us in the birth narrative, says, store it in your heart till you can await understanding. If you decide today, as we're going to give you a chance to, if you decide to make Jesus Lord of your life today, we're going to celebrate with you this morning. It's the greatest thing the church can witness. It's the greatest thing we can witness too. Make Jesus Lord of your life, but do not hear me say, when He become Lord of your life, all of a sudden everything becomes clearer and everything's sharper and you understand things and things will clear up. That's not true, it's not true. But you will have the one truth that's the most important of all, that when there's a lot of confusion, all that other stuff can be put in storage, but you keep Jesus Lord of your life, you're gonna be okay. You can await understanding at some point in time. So this morning, if there's anybody subject to the invitation, you're ready to make Jesus Lord. So I'm going to dethrone myself. That's called confessing sin. I'm going to dethrone myself. I'm going to put Jesus on the throne. I'm going to bow my knee, and for the rest of my life, I'm going to confess him as Lord. Be immersed in the waters of baptism. Declare what that is. And join the rest of us with large storage units, but certainty about the Lordship of Christ. And if you're ready for that, we are too, to watch it as we stand, as we sing together.